Friends and comrades, welcome to another episode of Highlands Bunker Podcast. This is Rob in the Shadow of Rockford Tower in the Bunker Studio. Super producer Carl is monitoring all from a secure remote location. Today we welcome back to the podcast Steve Tanzer. Steve is a former legislative aide, and as El Sam, he is the proprietor of the Delaware Liberal blog. Uh, fans of the podcast since day one may remember Steve from episode number one, recorded almost exactly two years ago today. So, uh, Steve, welcome back. Thank you. I, I got to say, I, I do miss the ambiance of the bunker, but what can I say? <laughs> well, it's funny. We were just, when, when you were uh, working it out and getting logged in, um, Carl and I were talking about, we've almost, we're about 50-50. We've done, um, we've done about the same number in person as we've done virtually. Um, I, I don't like it this way. But I'm starting to get used to it, so we we are looking forward to the day where we can actually host people uh, in the studio again. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit jealous because I saw you guys uh, doing your preparation for the podcast, and I was like, man, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't mind being part of that. We'll get back at it. So the first time around uh, after the 2018 election. Um, you know, we talked about the results. We talked about what it could mean for the state going forward and the country going forward. So let's do it again. Uh, what What's your take now? What, what What's your take um, post-election? Um, what do you think it means? We can start in the state if you want and just uh, give us your rundown. Well, I think really we need to go back, all, back to two, 2016 because I think that that was the beginning of what's been uh, an unprecedented uh grassroots progressive movement here in the state of Delaware. And I think really, if you take a look at the, uh, the mayor's race in the city of Wilmington with Eugene Young, who almost was elected, but the people involved in that campaign, Drew Sears, so many others, uh, took that as a starting point. Two years ago, of course, we had Carrie Evelyn Harris. Um, and out of all of that has grown just an amazing grassroots movement. And I mean, a lot of people who have become either candidates, uh, campaign managers like Carl, volunteers, and really 2020 was the year that it all bore fruit uh, with the election of so many progressive legislators to the, uh, the Delaware General Assembly. I never really thought I'd see something like this. And I think it goes to a couple of things. I mean, obviously the organization is paramount, but it goes to something we said for quite a while, and that is, progressive policies are popular. And in a couple of the cases, the races weren't even that close. I mean, they were, you know, I mean, you look at Eric Marson's race, you look at Larry Lambert, those races were not close. And uh, they knocked off Delaware way incumbent Democrats. So, and I mean, I think you, were you at that meeting, that first meeting, I think it was back in February, the meet the candidates meeting, Leftward Delaware and the work. Yeah, I, was. I mean, those those candidates were fully formed back then because they'd been recruited. They had been trained. You know, some of them already had their uh, campaign teams uh, in tow. And that's the secret. You, you need to start early and just continue to build. And that's exactly what happened this cycle, and it's already starting for the next cycle. Uh, Drew Sears put out a, uh, a notice, I guess, what, a couple of weeks or so ago, uh, recruiting candidates to come in, to train, to, to learn the ropes, same way for campaign staff and that type of thing. That's how you win. I mean, there are exceptions. We had one this year, but it was really because an incumbent announced his retirement late in June, which was um, Quinn Johnson. And thankfully, we got Ray Moore, Ray Moore out of that race um, to be the winner. So that's what's really happening. And that's what I don't think people have realized, except for those of us in the progressive movement. This is really an ongoing process. And it's, I mean, absolutely exciting. Uh, so I see nothing but good things going forward. I mean, uh, it's a process in the legislature. I mean, clearly, there will be marked 
differences, in my opinion, between how the, the Senate and the House you know, are going to deal with, with issues this year. Um, but it's already started for, for 2022. Yeah, so let's break it down, because I, I think that that's true, and I'm, I'm sort of interested in that dynamic, because number one, I feel, as you do, I didn't really think, I didn't really think we could get this far this fast. I think that the organizing was important. Uh, as you said, I think these electoral wins are, are a testament to organizing over periods of four or five years. Um, but I did not expect to have this much change this quickly. Uh, as for, from an electoral standpoint. So in the Senate, uh, we have uh, a, a, a huge insurgent win with Marie Pinckney. Uh, we have uh, Kyle Evans Gay, uh, who, who took over, who, who uh, ousted a Republican, and, and Marie Pinckney taking out somebody, and Kathy Cloutier. And we had leadership changes. So what's your, what's your, what's your, and also Sarah McBride, and also Sarah McBride, yeah. Correct. Correct. So, what's your yeah. what um, what's your take on the 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 Senate dynamic now with the uh, new members coming in and the leadership changes? Uh, right now, I think pretty much any significant piece of progressive legislation will get a fair hearing in the Senate. <clears throat> excuse me, and more often than not, is likely to pass. Um, there may be people in the caucus who you or I would not identify as. as in fact, there are. We know that who we would not identify as progressives. However, there's not a single member of the Senate Democratic Caucus who on certain issues will, be with, will not be with the progressive cause. Depending on the issue, many of them will be, and on some, they won't. I mean, you, I mean even Bruce Ennis, who I think is clearly the most conservative member of the Senate Democratic Caucus, he's always supported uh, increasing the minimum wage. He, he's always fought for the rights of you know, people in, in manufactured housing. So even there, you've got some areas where you know, he will be with you. Um, you know, Jack Walsh, I mean, I, you know, he's kind of your sort of construction trades guy, but he's with you on issues like uh, minimum wage. And so, and the rest of them, I mean, it's, it's an extraordinarily progressive caucus. And um, the leadership change was very important. I mean, obviously, there was going to be a new pro tem because Dave McBride was defeated. And, but also getting Nicole Poor out of leadership was essential. Um, she and McBride were uh, essentially a two-person roadblock to any uh, progressive legislation or serious progressive legislation being considered. Why? Because um, they, as, since they're in leadership, they were on the Senate Executive Committee along with um, Brian Townsend, who, of course, w voted to release some of those bills. But you also had the Republicans on there. So they, they would assign – it's the prerogative of the president pro tem to assign bills to committees. If he assigns it to the executive committee, it means he already knows what he wants to do with it. And that's really what happened with some of the progressive legislation this last year. The other thing that uh, having progressive leadership uh, – leaders in the caucus means the committees will not be a place where bills can be killed. For example, you can't stack a committee with people who, let's say, don't support some kind of gun reform, which is what which they actually did before. Um, and that's just one example. So I think that uh, the Senate is really, really exciting. And it's not just it's not just the leadership. It's also the governor. Keep in mind that a lot of times bills were essentially buried as because the governor put out word that he didn't want them to be considered, either because he didn't support them or because, you know, we all know this governor, right? He was afraid that somehow or other there would be some controversy attached to them. My God, that's the last thing he wants. Well, bef before we before we get to the governor, I, I have a couple. I want to interrogate a couple of those Senate issues. Um, the, the first one being. Yeah, I th I think this is going to be a test because I, I don't want to get bogged down in like esoteric like definitions or like tests about what progressive means or, or doesn't mean. I don't that's, I don't care about that. But um, but I think while people may view some of these senators uh, as progressive, I think that they have to, I think the proof is going to be uh, 
borne out in, in action this session. Because I think, uh, and I'll ask you, I think a lot of people consider uh, Laura Sturgeon progressive. I, I think I probably do. Um, Tizzy's on the fence with me. Uh, I, have a, I have a bone to pick with Tizzy, but I'll do that off air. Um, I, you know, there are these, so, uh, you know, I'm using uh, Brian Townsend. Like, they're, they're called progressive. They come from sort of this abstract, vague, progressive milieu from, like, either before the big organizing, like Brian Townsend, or, like, like Tizzy, sort of like, uh, I think a lot, was, a lot was assumed about her, what kind of politician she would be that I think is probably wrong. So how do you how do you do, how do you think of that dynamic in the Senate? Do you really think that we're going to see progressive action or or not? Because that's how I'm going to judge it by what action I'm going to see. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you make a good point. I do. And, and it's not necessarily degrees of progressivism. It's sometimes where the person comes down as being progressive and where they might not be so progressive. Uh, I mean, you use Laura Sturgeon as a, and I think that's a good example, you know. I think we I think we would all agree she's going to be progressive on on public education issues. Right. So but she may or, I, you know, I mean, but she may not be progressive on other issues. We don't really know because there haven't been that many issues that have been been you know, brought to the fore. Tizzy, I, I mean, I have questions about other senators who I, I don't consider progressive. Um, you know, I've, I've Darius Brown. I've raised that issue on the on the block. Um, but then you look at someone like, let's say, Marie Pinckney. Right. I mean, she's she's she really campaigned on environmental justice. I mean, she there are people, Sarah Sarah McBride, you know, economic and, and racial and environmental justice, and and of course, obviously, equal rights. We it does remain to be seen. However, what you have eliminated is that group. I, I mean, what is, you know, for example. Um, Oh God! Just forgot her name. Uh, you know the one from um, the one from Newark who got elected. Uh, Stephanie Hansen, right? I mean, it's not like everybody is is, is an overwhelming progressive on everything. And um, but I think you do have some who are progressive on almost all issues. Uh, and uh, I think you're going to see a lot of those bills get considered and passed. It's not going to happen early. I mean, you know, it's I I guess you saw the press release from the House. Well, both the House and the Senate Republicans don't do anything and don't do anything, you know, right away. Don't do the controversial bills early. Nothing gets done in January. January is a three week session. You have the state of the state. You have the introduction of the budget. The only legislation you get passed is sort of like what they call emergency legislation. It could be like a, a, a little adjustment to last year's budget bill or something like that. But, you know, it's not like we're about to rush through stuff in January. You, you know, the committees haven't even met yet. Um, so I do think that the change in Senate leadership was a fundamental move towards having progressive legislation move through the body. Um, yeah, it remains to be seen. And, and not all senators are progressive on all issues. We know that. Um, but there, it's all going to get a fair hearing on the floor. It's not going to get buried in committee. And I think you know, I look at some of the key issues that we're looking at. Um, I think most of them are going to be be considered, and I think most of them will pass the Senate. Yeah, and again, that's all. I, what I'm looking for is just simply, you know, as you said, let's let's get a fair hearing. Let's get pe people on the record making their arguments, taking a vote. You know, I, I don't expect everything to occur. You know, I have a set of priorities of a few things I'd like to happen before some other things, whatever. But some some real tangible action, even if it doesn't become law, we know where people stand. Uh, it wasn't, as you said, killed in a committee or not given a fair hearing or not, you know, not taken up at all or, or whatever. Uh, and so that's a that's a bright spot, because I think at least people are now put to the test. Um, there's gonna, Rob, there's gonna it's even more than that. It, sure. It's even more than that. You now have progressive. We, we, you have senators representing essentially a progressive caucus. You never had a progressive caucus in the Delaware General Assembly. So what that means is when these so-called big heads come together towards the end of a session to hash out so-called compromises, 
It's not going to be Dave McBride. It's not going to be Tony DeLuca. It's going to be the Senate leadership as instructed by that caucus that will be driving that bus. So, no, they're not going to get everything, but but they're going to be able to get a lot more than than you know, because look who you're dealing with, right? You're dealing with Pete and Val. You're, you're dealing with the, you know, the the, the cop groupies in 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 the House, and and then you know Timidity himself, John Carney, as the governor. So you're going to be able to get some things that actually do become law, you know, that would not have become law simply because you now have in the room uh, this progressive element. Yeah, let's get to the House. We might as well talk about. I mean, there are there 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 are exciting things happening. Uh, you know, I think I actually think Eric Morrison is going to be an an excellent representative. I think that's incredible. I think uh, Medina is certainly part of the vanguard. It's going to be pushing um, a lot of the you know really pushing from the left. You know, I'm calling them. I'm calling Larry, Eric, Medina, and Marie the squad because I think those four uh, new members are really going to be or or at least again they can prove themselves to be a, a vanguard of a lot of this stuff happening however in the house we still have we still have uh you know the 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 cop cabal old old heads um you know uh, so i we're probably not gonna how, how does this dynamic in the house shake out for you and then how does it potentially hinder what the senate might be able to do well, clearly, legislation has to pass both houses. However, you know, at least now you're going to have legislation passing the Senate. And, I mean, you do have different um, forces you could bring to bear to have it considered in the House. Because the House itself and the House Majority Caucus itself is more progressive, obviously, than the leadership is. I mean, I'll just give you one example, right? You get down to the end of June. And you have what are euphemistically referred to as must lists. And those are lists of bills that the Senate passes along to the House and says, we want you to pass these bills. And the House does the same. Well, clearly, there has to be some kind of give and take. Otherwise, you know, um, both sides will hold their breath and <laughs> nothing's going to come out. And, and that's, that's not practical as to what's going to happen. Um, the other thing is, now, there's such an irony in the House. I mean, they it really looked like the third member of the leader, even Pete and Val knew that it's a bad look to have, you know, the cop lovers running the caucus. And it from what I have been given to understand, and I can't, you know, confirm all of it, they were more than willing to have um, let's say someone like well, the name that, that was floated to me was Melissa Minor Brown, who would serve as the whip. Which is it's it's not a ceremonial position, but it's as close to a ceremonial position as you're going to get. They don't really have that much to do. Um, and what ironically happened, and again I can't confirm it, is that a couple of members of the Black Caucus in the House from the city of Wilmington says, "Why should she get it? I should be the one who gets it." And so they said, "Bleep this," and you ended up with the three cops in leadership. Yeah, so I can. I can that's tell how. You that this isn't uh, this isn't in any way meant to confirm what you said, but you and I heard the same rumor. Yeah. I heard I heard yeah, the same. Yeah, I heard exactly. a very I heard a very similar rumor to that. But right. who knows? We might have heard. So there, you... it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, no, I, I would guess it's not. I don't think we, we heard from the same person. I bet um, you. But it, it's right. it's, but it's but but it has been going around, and and that's why, one of the articles I wrote on the blog back back at the beginning of December. Uh, it's called the Mo Better Democrats Watch List for 2022. And the whole idea being that they're starting, you know, they, the progressives, us, I guess, are starting to recruit people to run for office in 2022. And so you have to take a look at, okay, what offices would really benefit from a progressive challenger and prospectively a progressive replacing someone who's not, not progressive? I mean, we're talking about Democrats replacing Democrats for the most part. And, um, you know, and one of the and I mentioned uh, the Wilmington city delegation in the House of Representatives. I think you could remove Namdi Chukwuma from that. But 
But the other three Wilmington representatives have not distinguished themselves at all. And, you know, I mean, one of them is is a noted self-dealer in Stephanie Bolden. I mean, she even worked her way into getting a receptionist job with with Hanifa Shabazz while she was, you know, uh, still a, a state legislator. Yeah, I mean, we have to say that every everything... I shouldn't say everything because we have some friends doing great work. Sinead Darby, shout out to Sinead Darby. Um, but but yeah, everything about Wilmington, whether it's the delegation we send to Dover or the mayor or the city council, is just uh, 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 it's shambolic. You know, it's just it's just self it's self dealing factions of small time crooks. I mean, that's just, I mean, and again, I don't know. And 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 Mike Mike Przicki and Buccini Pollen are actually big medium sized crooks. So you know, and so it's, it's <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, at least yeah, medium sized crooks, right? Yeah. So I mean, yeah. Everything that most of the stuff that comes out of the city po- politically uh, is just garbage. It's it's absolutely it's and it's ever been thus. You know, I mean, that second representative district. I mean, you you go back and take a look at that. You got. You had Al Plant. Then briefly, for two years, you had, um, oh gosh, what was his name? He was even a trivia question on the blog, um, who beat Al, but then Al won again. Then when he passed away, his wife took over. And then after that, it's Stephanie Bolden. That's it. I mean, all of that that self-dealing, I mean, constant. And, um, you know, it's been, that's a huge disappointment. I'm disappointed in... Wilmington representative, uh, Sherry Dorsey Walker, you know, yeah. I mean, she, she her, both of her campaigns have been sort of touchy feely, uh, types of campaigns with no substance to them whatsoever. Um, you know, she actually, what came in second, was it when she ran for Lieutenant governor? I think she was actually second, believe it or not behind, um, uh, Bethany Hall long. And of course, then you've got, you know, Gerald Brady, you know, um, I, I, I even mentioned, I said, Say, does uh, Jess Screen live in that district? I don't know if she does or not, but she she. And, well, I can tell you, even... Jer, uh, Jerry Brady is my rep. Lives in my actually lives in my neighborhood. So here's a funny story. And actually, Jess does not does not live in this district. Um, okay, I don't I don't think so. No. Um. So about this was before the general election. Uh. So it must have been mid October. Um, so not only was it before the general, it was before the, you know, it was, everybody's running. And, uh, one Sunday morning, this might've been late September, uh, everybody's going out to walk their dogs and all of a sudden secret service are everywhere. And because St. Anne's is here in the middle of the neighborhood and, uh, Joe Biden was going to come to mass at St. Anne's, right? So it's, you could tell like an hour before. It's happening. People are kind of milling around. Oh, Biden's going to go to mass. You go see him, whatever. Press the press turn up. Well, the mass is going to start at like 10 a.m., right? And they can only have so many people in there because of COVID. Well, as people are milling about, all of a sudden, Biden goes in, the door's shut. You see Jerry Brady trying to put a jacket on, running down the street. He didn't want to miss it. He was just uh, trying to jog as fast as he could. He had to be there. You know, it was the, it was just... The, this, the the idea that that he was running over there just made me laugh. Um, but again, now he's just going to do now. This is his. Uh, I guess he's going to do the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. You know, get a get a, a rocking chair at all your away games. This is like his swan song, right? This is it. Isn't it? Is, 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 you think is so? Not, we don't I know, do that, we? I, do don't we know? I mean, I don't know. I thought it was understood that this was like his that, that you know his retirement tour. You know, you... Uh, it's not. I mean, well, uh, I hope you're right. Well, first of all, keep in mind that with redistricting, you know, Wilmington probably hasn't. You know, I'm glad to see more districts in Wilmington, but honestly, they probably have. You know, they went from five to four rep districts, if you recall, because Helene Keeley was the fifth. She actually represented the fifth representative district, which which moved down to sort of the Bear Glasgow area uh, ten years ago. Um, so there was that. Um, you know, there used to be, uh, you know, it really doesn't justify three Senate districts right now. So we don't know how redistricting is going to work. So there's a chance that, you know, he, he might retire, which would um, probably make it a little bit easier to 
draw the lines, but um, I hadn't heard that. I mean, I, I would hope it, it would be, but you know, that's what I heard about Bruce Ennis too, right? Uh, we don't yeah. know. That's he true. may run again, and, and he may want to run again next time too. And when I mean, you know, look how in. they get stuck in. When they get stuck in, they're stuck in. And, and some of them, and uh, want to, I hate to use the term, but they want to go out of their feet first. Yeah. They don't want, you know, like Jim Vaughn did. You know, I mean, uh, they well, they weren't going to leave there until goddamn they they drag me out of that place. I'll tell you, man, I. I I saw Dave McBride at an at a, a rally. It was like Fight for Fifteen, uh, SEIU local thing that we went down to, and it was like it was like this time last year. So it was his last session. He didn't know it, but it was his last session. Well, he comes out to get a picture, and he was actually standing next to me. Uh, I didn't say anything to him, but I mean, the idea that that guy was was a legislator. I mean, because he just gave off the air of like. You know, like you know the the problems Diane Feinstein's been having in the Senate, like she forgets shit. Oh, she yeah, you no, no, you're you're absolutely right. He didn't look. He looked like he looked like a corpse. I'm like, dude, just you own a house at the beach. Just go down the beach and read a book on your porch. What are you doing here? Yeah, I mean, or, and that's and that's the truth of all of all of the races. That was the most important one, and I mean, he uh, he had. So much money. I think it was like over three hundred thousand dollars or something like that. And um, so I that I was volunteering for Marie in that race. And you know, and I basically of the you know we couldn't knock. Well, we did knock doors. I I did some not door knocking with Marie. Very carefully done door knocking with her. But most of what I did was you know lit dropping and, and that type of thing. And McBride had signs at every entrance to every community. And I mean, you know, when I first started. Joe Connor and I were down there. We were in, in Minkwadale, and I'm like, shit, man, he's got signs everywhere. And you know, Joe was saying, yeah, well, when people get to Marie, they've started to take down some of those signs. And then as you know, the the election went on, you know, you, you started to realize that the only place he has signs are in those carefully selected entrances. You're not seeing them on very many people's lawns. Now you didn't see many signs from Marie either, but she didn't spend her money on signs. I mean, she spent her money on, I mean, careful voter ID. Every time somebody voted, they knew that the person had voted and they took it off the roll so you didn't have to go to their house anymore or whatever it might be. I mean, it was just really uh, how you can win a grassroots race without having to spend, you know, a lot of money. But you're right about McBride. I mean, McBride used to be sharp. I mean, he was actually one of the brightest people in in the uh, Delaware General Assembly. He didn't have what I would call practical, uh, you know, sharpness. But but from an IQ standpoint, he was right up there. He was like uh, he was an engineer, and I mean, he he had all that stuff, those wheels whirring in his head. But you're absolutely right. I mean, he stayed on way too long, and I noticed there was a uh, he actually had a, a little PSA spot, and I'm looking at him going. His campaign manager thought it was okay to put this thing up there. It was so embarrassing. It was like, my God, you know. So I am—I I couldn't be more thrilled that Marie won that race. She—I don't know how well you got to know her during the campaign, but she is really somebody special. I mean, her work background, the empathy, she's the, her knowledge base. She brings something to that General Assembly that just hasn't been there before. Yeah, she was she was one of our she was uh we were going through earlier and, and thinking about the last few people that we have actually recorded in person in the studio and she was one of the last the last group. Um yeah, when I met her, I was uh you know, some people are they 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 work their way into a role through like she she was like she almost seemed fully formed. She's like and, and you know, obviously she had gone through the training, as you said, and, and gone through the paces and gotten her head, gotten her, you know, her as a candidate together. Um, so it was it was almost fully fleshed out. I'm like, wow, this is this is very, very impressive. <laughs> yeah, that's why when I go back to that February meeting, I keep going back to it that they were fully formed, not just fully formed, but the empathy they had, you know, uh, for people who weren't there. What happened was the candidates that we were divided up, those of us who were not candidates, into like groups of about four people, maybe five, and the candidates would go around to each group and give their presentation. 
And then they, they would get feedback from us. And I mean, I just was like, when, when Marie and then Medina and Wilson Anton and, and Larry Lambert, I'm like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything. I just, I, I was just blown away by how well they were prepared. And it wasn't just like they, it was a rote preparedness. It was, this is the essence of who these people are. They were able to express it. And, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That, that got me psyched up for that whole election cycle. Well, I think the, the, the one last point I want to make about these races, and you sort of alluded to it when you were talking about sort of the dynamics in the Senate and the House and how are things going to, you know, uh, what other Democrats that maybe are moderate or, or conservative that could be targets. I mean, because of the because of this organizing and because of this mobilization and campaigning and because of these results, uh, the movement has 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 threatened the 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 core of the the old school of the party and i and i don't think i think that that threat is real i think those uh people understand it uh to some degree already just because of the election results and the and the change in leadership in the senate uh but what i'm planning to do personally is ensure that they feel that threat every day because it's real it's real now that so so that's going to be a real cool dynamic uh, as part of these machinations and part of the politics in, in Dover this session is what people used to dismiss as that won't happen to me. I've been in this district so and so many years. I'm, no, you know, uh, the, the threat is now very, very real. That's a really good point. And, that, and that's not just a really good point from what you, have, you said. This is a good point for everybody who's listening to this, who uh, when you talk about lobbying your legislators, you know, it, it is real. Um, uh, a current senator said about Nicole Poor, she's going to have to vote more Democratic than she was when she was in leadership. Because, you know, that's the one, you know, that, I mean, I think she's, she's going to be tough to beat, so don't get me wrong. But, um, you know, she's not going to be able to, to basically oppose. She'll probably have to vote for the gun bills if they come up, you know, uh, based on her district. Um, and a guy like Jack Walsh, right? I mean, these people are going to have to uh, move to the left, not on every issue, but but on enough of the issues where you also be, and and also in the House. I mean, my God, you know, uh, for sure, uh, you're going to have they, they're going to have to do that because they've seen the result of it. So not only does it have the impact of changing the body from the standpoint of the membership, it also impacts the body from the standpoint of people realizing that the threat is real. And in fact, the policies are popular, which is why the threat is real. Yeah, it all works as one thing. I mean, you're running on the, the electoral stuff can't happen until you mobilize people about their material, like $15 minimum wage, like you were saying. That's, a, that's extremely popular. And if you can mobilize people on that, then, then that makes the electoral threat real. I think that's right. Yeah, I, that's an interesting point. Because what's happened in the past is that the Senate has passed that legislation. Pete and Val, or Pete especially, um, always buried it in a House committee. And people like Brian Short were, were in the, on that committee. Quinn Johnson was on that committee. Andrea Bennett was on that committee. And they were the ones that carried the water for the um, Chamber of Commerce, and the bill got killed in committee with the help, of course, of the Republicans on, on that particular committee. I, I, was, I, called it the, uh, I called it the business lapdog committee. And, um, you know, that's what's happened to that, that legislation. They could, well, especially, I mean, Val in, in, in particular, I mean, Pete, you know, the thing about Pete is if, if he goes, that's probably a Republican district, but I wouldn't mind losing that district for the sake of getting rid of Pete. But, um, yeah. I mean, I don't think they can continue to do that anymore. Now, uh, people want that. Speaking of speaking of uh, uh, corporate lapdogs, uh, let's talk about let's talk about the biggest the biggest clog in the drain of all of this is our dunderhead governor. Um, I, he uh, speaking of like like just being uh, obstinate uh, a, a, about most everything. Um, not even really taking a stand other than to say, I have no, like, we're not doing anything. 
uh, whether it's $15 minimum wage, whether it's marijuana legalization, whether it's police reform, whatever. So what what is your assessment on him? This is the, you know, uh, praise be, this is his last term, right? I mean, I, I, he can't, can he, can he hurt us at the state level anymore? I mean, I, I guess everybody will be... Everybody, everybody will be jockeying for Uncle Tom's, you know, Uncle Tom's spot. I think LBR will be put in that spot, and then you know how it all shakes out after that. I guess is anybody's. Oh no, I, I, I think the race to look at is going to be the the twenty twenty four governor's race. I mean, it's way too it's way too early to talk about it, but I think there are a shitload of people looking at that race already, and um, that's and don't but in any by any stretch of the imagination think. That, for example, Bessie Hall Long hasn't wrapped up. She does. She. I don't think she's going to be the nominee. Um, uh, you know, she, she doesn't raise money. She basically stands for nothing. You know, I mean, I don't. You know, so Matt Meyer. Uh, that Matt Meyer could be Matt Meyer. I mean, uh, the so thing. I'll, I'll the thing with everything that Meyer. You know, <laughs> Meyer made this big. Meyer's been very active with the county. Uh, right. Eric Eric Razor Sham just went to you know onto his staff. Um, right. I mean, I, I think Matt Myers looking, I mean, he, at least, at least he's doing things now, again, he could also, you know, there's going to be a shakeup in the federal delegation. Maybe he has, but to me, to me, he, 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 he's next going to be in his mind. Uh, yeah. In his mind, maybe <laughs> um, I, I, I look, I no, I look very clear. I, I mean, and he, I, I like that as you well know, um, yeah. I'd also look at, uh, attorney general, Kathleen Jennings. I mean, I think that I think that she, you know, she's I think she would be a tremendously strong candidate for governor. I mean, Matt has made some enemies now and, and not all of them. I mean, we make this clear. Most of them, I'm glad he, I, I'm they're the kind of enemies. It's like, good. I'm glad he's got them as enemies because they should be enemies, you know, like the cops. Exactly. That's the the construction trades and what yep. have you. Right. Yep. How, however, you take a look at it. He did. Were you disappointed at his. Um, margin in that primary, I, I thought it was going to be bigger than that. Um, uh, you know, and I mean, it wasn't like it was, it, it wasn't like it was a, a, a super tight, but that margin tells me he's got maybe more enemies than you might think he does. A lot, of, there are people who are upset about his handling of this federal money, the $300 million that he got because, um, and this is the argument I've heard, is that he took that money. If he didn't take that money, it would have gone to the state. So it goes to the county. And what he does is he's parceling it out. And let's be honest, it's in a manner that, you know, certainly benefits him politically. Right. Um, but in some cases, when he said, they say he's giving money to the state, keep in mind that the county doesn't have a, a, a lot of the same functions that the state does. So, for example, if the state unemployment fund is, is running dry, you could make the argument that, you know, that money might have been better spent, you know, at the state level. Now, the counter argument is who's going to make those decisions? John Carney. Uh, so I'm, I, I mean, I'm, it's just stuff that I've heard. So, yeah. And again, my my and I and I appreciate Matt, too. We're you know, we're friends and, and he's been on a couple times. And I think, you know, I. As you said, I think he makes all the right enemies, and and frankly, you know, look if he exercised his political power to to get as much as much funding as was available to do with it, you know, obviously for political reasons, but to do with it what he thought would be uh, would would forward his ideas, and you know, and some of that and some of that was was doing grants, some of that was getting he, you know, I think everybody. Everybody I've talked to seems to admire the way he handled the COVID response. Um, he was part actually particularly highlighted in some areas. Um, he uh, oh right of, he 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 helped he helped purchase the uh, the the unused hotel to to try to address. It. And so I love that. And, and I, I and, love that he got the money back from that that BS stock exchange. Oh yeah, and he got the money back from the stock exchange. So again, like I I, I understand the criticism of like. Oh, uh, you know, he, 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 he made a power move, but I mean, if he's in a position of power to do this stuff and I, and, and I, and I like his policies, like I like what he's, uh, the, the, the program that he's trying to do seems like it, 
it, it lines up okay with what I would want to do. And so, yeah, do it. You know, like usurp fucking Carney. I hate, you know, like as you said, I don't want him in charge of it. He's a dunderhead. So, you know, I, I, I that's a, this seems like a sort of a political infighting, and I'm glad that Meyer won. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, let, let, Carney has just always had blinkers on the whole. He's not his whole political career. I mean, people forget how he ended up in politics. I, I mean, actually, elective politics. He was handpicked by Tom Carper to be Ruth Ann Minner's lieutenant governor nominee. And the deal was Carper did, Carper did not like Ruth Ann Minner. And the deal was you want my wholehearted support? You want me to basically guarantee that you have, you're going to be the nominee? You're going to take Carney on your, on your ticket with you. That's how he got started. He never, you know, I, I knew John. I liked John. John, uh, he was actually the first, le- one of the two legislative fellows, one of the two first legislative fellows I ever worked with down in Dover. But he was what he is now. I mean, very much of a, fig- a numbers guy, you know, and he was good with them. But, you know, in, in terms of having that, as George H.W. Bush used to say, he lacked the vision thing. And he still yeah. does. Yeah, and, and you I know mean, what? I mean, I, marijuana I will... is a good example. Yeah, and I, and I will say this, and I say this about a lot of people that, uh, that I criticize very harshly. Um, I also don't think they're doing anything other than what they're there to do. Like, Carney, I, I, tease, I, I tease Jonathan Starkey sometimes because we, we get into it on the internet. I mean, he's the comms guy for the why does Carney is the comms guy. Carney's the comms guy for the Chamber of Commerce and the cops. Why does he need a comms guy? So he's sure the comms the guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's well, no. I, what, well, I, what he, I mean he does, is he's, well, he runs interference for the he's happy yeah. he's he's happy with the way they wield power in the house, for example. He's fine with that. Oh, and yeah. so well, not and just so, happy with not just happy with it. It's 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 he relies on it. He relies correct. on it. Just like Mer, just like Markel relied on it. But when it comes know, to leadership, to make sure the bills he didn't want, yeah, yeah they when got it, buried. Yeah, when when it comes to leadership on something like the minimum wage or marijuana or whatever, he's not going to even he's not interested in in really even taking a stand on any of it. No, I'm really the, the presidential equivalent is George H. W. Bush, who, if you remember at the beginning of his presidency, said, "What are your priorities?" And he said, "Pretty much whatever comes across my desk." <laughs> yeah. Remember that? So, I mean, I do think Carney's done, and I, I'll give him props. Because it's not easy to do, and you can second-guess a lot of stuff on it. But I think he's done a really good job managing the, the COVID situation. That's a tough-as-hell job to, to, to have. But, and, and, we're, and you, might, you could make the argument, and in fact, maybe I will, that that's, one, that's the one area where we should be thankful we have a guy who basically is a pretty much what comes across my desk guy there. You know, he doesn't have any political ideology, um, and so he just kind of like, okay, what do we have to do? Let's do it. Yeah. But no, you're right. Um, I don't. So that's, but see, he's going to have to move too. I think you saw him just slightly change his language on marijuana. I don't know if you noticed that or not. Um, Cause I basically, you know, he basically had a over my dead body response to legalization of marijuana. And now it's getting a little bit closer to that famous governor Reagan quote. He says, um, when he says my, my 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 feet are set in concrete on this, and he had to back up back down, he says what you hear now is the sound of concrete breaking. You know, yeah. so um, you know he may be in that he may be looking for a way to massage it, but certainly not to do what we think should be done in Delaware, which is go yeah. ahead legalize it. You know, just make make it an industry for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, we're we're actually planning a, a big piece on the new uh, for the new year for this session uh, on uh, marijuana legalization. Uh, we're going to have uh, Zoe Pichel uh, from the uh, Cannabis Advocacy Network. Um, we're going to report a story for your Delaware call that that uh, Jordan Howell's working on. So we're going to run it like that um, because yeah, at this point you just have to present it like it's. It's not 50 years ago. We have to. We have to get with the. We have to just move on from it. And I don't. I don't think it's. It's doing anybody any good. But we're going to cover that pretty extensively in in January. So uh, watch the space and the Delaware call. Um, I think. So, I. I think. I think. I think that that's actually something that could happen now. I mean, from uh, marijuana legalization. I mean, uh, 
you, I don't, I don't know if you paid attention to Marie Pinckney's position on it. She's yeah. like, you know, some people just like to smoke. What's the big deal? I mean, you yeah. know, that's, I mean, it was, it's not your, even your typical legislative response, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think that that's what, I mean, you've got a couple of Republicans who support it. Colin yeah. Benini supports uh, marijuana legalization. Yeah, well, that was one of the one of the one of the one of the uh, you know one of the ways we could uh, you know reach across the aisle or or you know make comrades. And this was that there is a libertarian streak to it. Um, so there are you know there are conservatives who um, for that reason would would support something like that. Yeah, speaking of the same thing, you know something else that Colin Benini supports. He supports the end to civil forfeitures. He actually sponsored the bill. So you're right about his, you know, he's kind of a whack job on most things, but on, on items like that, you even have, you can get votes from, from him at least, you know, on that side of the aisle for putting an end to civil forfeitures, which is something whose time is long since, uh, you know, overdue yeah, for. Yeah. That's something that should be, a, should, that seems like even low hanging fruit, but in any in any case, um, before we wrap up, I do want to touch on um, the Andrea Bennett drama. <laughs> and I you and use here, the word, I think, yes. I, 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 well, I call it drama because it's not just one episode. Anyway, I, I had a lot of conversations with, with folks over the weekend about it who are, you know, in, in, other, in some ways close-ish to it or have opinions. And, you know, I'm... I'm there was a lot of pitfalls here for me because number one, you know, I'm not, I'm not somebody who's like, Oh, you were arrested. I'm not, you know, a fan of the cops or the criminal justice system. I'm, you know, I, I have, you know, I've lived a life myself that people, you know, but people who know me know about, so I'm not about to judge somebody for, you know, some, some, you know, something like this, but I can't help, but, uh, sort of, just wonder what our our standards are because my understanding is you know you have somebody who was given a job at a workplace based on nepotism which is common but this is what happened uh, in that job she created sort of a, a, a probably a hostile environment considering that you know she met her husband there who wasn't I guess was married at the time so that's a l little weird to do at the office um, and, and then of course he had his own legal problems. Um, and now, and, and, and now we're, we're, we're getting into even more legal problems. And it's just like, I, I appreciate people who have, you know, who make mistakes, who have issues, but at some point we need to look at the ethics and, and draw and make, there has to be some sort of behavior standard for the legislature. Um, and that's that's kind of why, I, I, that, and 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 this is a very common thing. And again, I I I I also know, and I'm sensitive to the fact that in the past there have been men who have gotten away with a lot of bullshit, whether it be domestic violence, whether it be bringing a a, a, a gun through an airport, you know, whatever. So I don't I don't want I also don't want to come down on one particular person because I think all of this sort of um, nepotism and entitled behavior and all of these connections within the Delaware way. I think it's, I think it's, it, it's totally, uh, it's toxic. And I think the only way to address it is by making some standard, some ethical standard for the people who, who work in Dover. So that's all I have to say about that. Well, the Andrea Bennett case is so suffused with nepotism and Delaware wayism that it's, it's not even funny. I mean, we even have to go back before Brad Bennett. Um, how did Brad Bennett, um, you know, end up with a career in politics? You know, his dad was a longtime state representative from the same district that Brad Bennett ended up serving in. And his dad was a green eye shade Democrat. He was he was always on the Joint Finance Committee. Uh, Ed Bennett, by the way, was his name. And he, um, you know, basically was, was a was a dino. No extra funding for anything. That was his attitude. He also, by the way, ran a security company and had a bunch of ex-cops on his payroll. So um, I forget if Bennett retired or was defeated by a Republican. 
And then Brad came along a couple of terms later, and he defeated the person who had defeated his father. So then in uh, 2012, during redistricting, the district was made a solid Democratic district. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, we're talking Democratic majority district. Um, at least it is now. And so Andrea Bennett, as you said, she was the daughter of John Viola, uh, you know, a undistinguished backbencher from um, kind of the Bear area, you know, uh, also a guy who got a job working for the Department of Labor under the uh, watchful or not so watchful eye of Tony DeLuca, you know, and together in, in the Civil Rights Enforcement Division, they basically shredded every civil rights complaint they ever got. So um, anyway, so so Andrea gets down there and keep in mind, guess who Brad Bennett is married to? He is married. To, <laughs> it's just amazing. He's married to the daughter of then state senator Brian Bushweller. And Bennett's uh, rep district is almost entirely within the Senate district of Brian Bushweller. So she and Brad. And by the way, that, this that was Bennett's second marriage. So. Um, so she and Brad, you know, do whatever they're doing, you know, have their affair. And pretty soon Brian Bushweller's daughter is, is kicked out. And Andrea Bennett is Andrea Viola is now Andrea Bennett, who, by the way, had no Kent County roots until she married Brad Bennett. So the stories of their public and private disputes are kind of legion. The one that I was told by a, um, by a retired state representative, they were up at a Phillies game. It's like a whole bunch of legislators that were there. And they were in like one of those boxes where they have all the food and they have like the drinks and stuff. And both of them get plastered and start throwing F-bombs at each other in front of all of these uh, other elected officials, retired officials, what have you. So Bennett, stor Andrea storms out of there. She takes the train back to Wilmington. Brad gets in his car and tries to get to the train station, but a couple of wrong turn, turns later, he ends up hitting that parked car, you know, and, you know, the rest is history. So um, then, you know, uh, Andrea says, I'm not going to step aside for him. I don't care if he gets sober or not. It's, 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 she ends up, of course, running in the special election in this overwhelmingly Democratic district and winning the open seat because uh, Brad did have to leave the Delaware General Assembly. Um, so that now she's there, and then this situation takes place. And keep in mind, this is not a, it's not a, this is not an issue of public drunkenness. This is an issue of her beating the crap out of her husband. It's also an issue where the um, the the event took place uh, over a week before the police finally admitted that it had taken place. They they sat on it, so. You know, the, the question, I know what you're saying about the issue of, well, how, do, do, you know, don't you have to do something via, you know, the ethical route? Well, it's not a bad idea. There are a couple of uh, roadblocks. One is, of course, that um, the any kind of an ethics complaint goes before the House or the Senate Ethics Committee. Yes. Consider that name an oxymoron. Because, yeah, for we, example, we actually we actually looked it up yesterday and the the yes. the chair it's leadership. Yes, it's Pete and Val. <laughs> they run the ethics committee. <laughs> yeah. Gee, I mean, Val, who got a job because she, you know, got a job as the head of the Delaware, you know, Police Athletic League because she's the majority leader for the House of Representatives. You know, on 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 the Senate side, on the Senate side, until this last election, it was Nicole Poor who got her job with jobs for Delaware graduates because she was, you know, a state senator. Those were unethical in my view, right? And yet, so that's the problem is how do you actually do something with some teeth in it, recognizing that the people who would put together the legislation to do something with some teeth in it are the legislators who could then find themselves on the other side of the coin. So that's the challenge you've got. I mean, I agree with it, but um, that's the challenge you've got um, is uh, are they willing to police themselves? I mean, they're not willing to make the police. Well, they, I mean, that, I, that's the problem. I, I don't see how you do it. Um, yeah. uh, I think uh, everyone. 
what we call this is the Delaware Democrats. This is what it is right now. I mean, um, yeah, it's, it's, I, yeah, I, it's a Delaware way. I mean, it's, it's not just yeah. Democrats. I mean, and, and I, there are so many other obvious abuses. If you just t- stop and take a look, just take a look at how many people are, you know, for example, employed by Dell Tech, for example, where uh, Larry Mitchell is the head of security and has been ever since John Van Sant retired. John Van Sant, of course, was also a state elected official who moved from being a policeman into the role of, you know, head of security at, at Dell Tech. You think Dell Tech has any problems getting funding down in the Delaware General Assembly? They I do don't not. think so. They do not. Um, they, of course they don't. And, and that's part of the reason why. I mean, uh, e- e- like even, um, you know, Margaret Henry retired a couple of years ago. She was an instructor over at Dell Tech. I mean, it, it, the incestuousness is just so... Uh, you know, ingrained there, that the one thing that can change it, and I think is beginning to change it, is really this change in the membership of of the bodies. That's pretty much the only thing that can do it. Um, Do you know that Mark Brainerd's son is actually the uh, research analyst for the Joint Sunset Committee down over? I bet you didn't know that, but he is. Um, Mark Brainerd Jr., Lots of juniors, um, lots, I mean, of, lots of juniors and, uh, and, and the thirds. Oh, my God. I, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, we went back, we were talking about that, you know, second rep district, you know, with, I mean, look at the third rep district, you know, Herm, Herman Jr., Arthur Scott. I mean, my God, you just, you know, one after the other, you know, after the other of just people of, you know, as you said, self-dealers looking to line their own pockets. Yeah. Um, and there are really good people in Wilmington, you know. You talk about Sinead Darby, Chris Johnson's another one. God, you know who I really, everything he says, you know who, who I agree with almost every time he opens his mouth is Jay Street. Yeah, you know, it's funny It's funny you mentioned that. I, I wanted to say when we were talking and trashing uh, Wilmington, Wilmington uh, politicians, the, the Wilmington politicians on the, on the county council aren't too awful. Um, Jay Street, like I, I think he has, a, you know, he. I don't agree with everything he, like you know, he's not exactly a dynamic leader, but but he has a plan. He's trying to do his plan. You know, I've 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 only recently sort of gotten into more of the machinations and the politics around the county, um, and so yeah, I, I I do agree with you there. Well, well, I mean, but he, he uh, the stuff he says. I mean, he 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 blistered the general assembly. He said the cops got that place locked down down there. I yeah. mean, and he was right. I I mean, um. You know, his son's a really good musician, rapper. I'm wondering, if he has the same politics, maybe that guy might have a political future. Yeah, that's actually, I've seen him perform. That's actually not a bad idea. Well, Steve, uh, th- I just wanted to uh, thank you for, for uh, coming on and, and revisiting our, our very first episode. I very much appreciate it. Uh, I, I, know I, I know I gave you a lot of heartburn on the blog many times. I hope you appreciate the, uh, what I was trying to do. Uh, I think it's we very always, we always appreciate what yeah we always appreciate what you were trying to do we're 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 right there with you I mean that, <laughs> I know. that is not an issue <laughs> I believe me we, I, I mean I know <laughs> uh, that's where I mean that's where I am and um, uh, you know it's uh, I'm, I'm I'm really optimistic uh, my tendency is to get over optimistic so I really want to see how this thing works out the sooner they can get back to being more or less in continuous session, uh, you know, um, and, and I mean, there's no reason why they can't do the Zoom meetings and all that stuff online and, and what have you, because last year, of course, you know, once the pandemic hit, it was nothing but just, you know, uh, the absolute minimum they, they, they could could do. But now they've got it all figured out. So, yeah, I do know that they come back. From- no, I was just going to say, I do know that there's they're they're planning now ahead of the session to make sure that they can do, you know, some other things uh, virtually, like uh, like sign the documents they need to sign. Um, so they they are setting up a, a a process that I think will allow them to work a lot better virtually. Um, I mean, I don't, I understand what happened. I mean, I I wish they would have been a little more proactive and maybe not got stuck. But a lot of the stuff, I mean, you can't really. You can't really say too much because they definitely, you know, it was, it was right at the height of the first uh, wave of the pandemic. And, you know, you got to do what you have to do. So it, it was all new to them. I mean, you know, they, they were starting from ground zero. 
Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, no, I, I don't criticize them for that either. But you could even have public meetings. Let's say if you, you know, you do it in a place like, oh, I don't know, like a Dell Tech auditorium or something where you do have the social distancing and everything. You could even do things like that. Um, uh, one center said, hey, they could do it. They could do it out at the, uh, the casino. He says, at least all the legislators know where everything is there. <laughs> ah. um, but, but, you know, so, I mean, you could even be, do some of some halting public meetings even, you know, with, of course, the, the video uh, element to them as well. So the, the, I know, but the point I'm making is they're thinking about all of these things. They're trying to figure out a way to make, uh, you know, the government most responsible, responsive and available to, you know, the voters. Well, as we said, we have momentum now. We've done organizing. We've done training. We've won elections. We've sold ideas that are now popular. Now's the time. So keep watching this space on Highlands Bunker. Keep uh, reading Delaware Liberal. Keep reading Delaware Call. Uh, and and now's the time to to really start to see people step up and and lead and 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 reap some of the benefits of of five plus years of organizing. Um, so Steve, thank you very much for uh, for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time. I hope every occasion is as joyful as this. Ah. Happy yeah. holidays, guys. Happy holidays, everybody. Left is best. Take care.